Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of our Lord Jesus, and we come by the power of your Spirit. We ask now that you would speak to every person in this room, that they would hear your voice, that you would say things to them that they need to hear from you, that they would receive encouragement and be built up and strengthened in the gospel. And Lord, allow our hearts to repent wherever we need to, repent specifically of apathy as we talk about it today. And so, Lord, we lift our hearts to you, we lift our minds to you, we lift our will to you, and we pray, God, that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see what you're saying and what you're doing. And Lord, hide me behind the cross that we all might see Jesus. So come, Holy Spirit, and we pray it in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, amen. Good morning. Uh, We are going to be in the book of Malachi, so if you want to go ahead and open a Bible, you can. Uh, We are in the season of Advent here at the church. So if you're new to church, Advent is the time of year where we are anticipating the coming of Christ, and specifically we do that by anticipating uh, the first coming of Christ uh, that we celebrate at Christmas. And so through the whole month, as we're ready, readying ourselves for celebrating the first coming of Christ, we meditate on the second coming of Christ, the fact that he's coming again. So he came, and he's coming again. So that's what Advent is. He came, that's Advent. He's coming again, that's Advent. Advent is the idea of appearing or coming or arrival of God. So it's when God comes into this world and arrives in this world in in a specific way. And so uh, obviously God has created the world, but Advent is when God enters the world. And the story of Christianity is a story of God entering the world. It's not just about God in heaven, uh, you know, giving commands and directions from heaven and we have to figure out. But instead, he gives those commands and directions, then he comes into this world to show us the way, to show us how to follow the commands and the directions, but also to give us forgiveness and grace so that we could be reconnected to God. So Christianity centers on the coming of God into history. So God creates the world, God creates history, and then he comes into the world, he comes into history and becomes a character in history, and that character is the person that we know our Savior Jesus Christ. So as we think about his first coming at Christmas, Advent is the time we're also thinking about his second coming. And what I want to talk about today is how Advent actually helps us with apathy. Every single human being deals with apathy. Apathy is when you start to lose interest. Apathy is when, uh, you know, you... uh, are you have lack of feeling or emotion, you, when you become impassive, when you have lack of interest or concern. And a lot of times in their faith, people get apathetic. They, they kind of keep God at a distance. And what they end up doing is they end up going through the motions of religiosity without connection to God. And whenever somebody goes through the motions of religiosity without connection to God, they end up in hypocrisy and they end up in apathy. Now, last week we saw how Israel was ending up in hypocrisy. Uh, They were uh, not giving God the best. They were giving God uh, half effort. They were not giving God their hearts. They were not giving God uh, their, their best offerings, and yet they were posing as if they were, and so they were hypocrites. 
Uh, now, this week we're going to talk about we're going to look at how Advent solves the problem of apathy, and specifically for you, this is what I want you to hear for your own walk with God and your own Christian life. Um, thinking about the fact that God has come into history and that God will re-enter into history again is the primary thing that will keep you on point. The God who loves you and saves you not only sits up in heaven from a distance with his love, but that God comes into this world, comes into history to show his love, to show his forgiveness, to show the way, but also to teach us what we need to repent of. To repent is to turn away from what is evil and turning to what is right. And so what we need to repent of today, and this is all of us, including me, is apathy. We all get apathetic in the way that we think about God. And so here's my main point today. And then I want to break down the words of my main point because preachers do stuff like that. Okay, uh, my main point is anticipating Advent annihilates apathy. All A's, right? And um, yeah, lots of interesting words. Anticipating Advent annihilates apathy. Let's break that down. First, anticipating. It's to give advanced thought, discussion, or treatment, to look forward to as certain, to expect. Okay, so the Advent is the season where we anticipate, we expect, we're looking for Jesus. We're, we're thinking about the fact that he's going to return. So we living, so the Christian life is actually living in anticipation, anticipation of God coming again. We know he already came. And so uh, Karl Barth, the great theologian, said this, the whole of the Christian life is, is one where we live in Advent. We live between the Advents. The time is his first and his second coming. Now, so we want to anticipate that second coming. Second, Advent, we've already talked about, is the arrival and appearing of Christ. To annihilate something is to cause to cease to exist, to do away with entirely so that nothing remains. So we're going to talk about how to annihilate apathy in our life. And then apathy, as we said, is lack of feeling or emotion or impassiveness, lack of interest or concern or indifference. So my main point again is, say it with me. Is it up on the screen? Anticipating Advent annihilates apathy. Okay? <laughs> All right. There's two types of churchgoers. There's those that come for God, and there's those that come for other reasons. And those that come for other reasons tend to get apathetic. So I want you to think about, and not in a guilt sort of a way or shame sort of way, but I want you to think about why you came today. Did you come for God? Did you come to worship God? Did you come to hear from God? Or did you come from other reason, for other reasons? Now, some of you might have been brought here by somebody and you're just coming to be nice to them. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not shaming or guilting you. I'm talking more to those that are Christians. Why are you here? Are you here for God? The only thing that will keep you from apathy is to keep your heart and attention focused on God. Not religion, not church going, not, the, you know, not even the, the, the social connections within the church, but specifically God. We come here for God. And there are a lot of people that go to church for other reasons. Maybe initially they came for God, but over time they start going for 
various other reasons. Maybe it meets some sort of need in their life, or maybe there's uh, loneliness, or maybe they need help with something, or maybe uh, they don't have other friends. And, and, you know, all of those things God will use in our lives to bring us to Him, and that's fine. Uh, God has probably used that with you. He has definitely with me. But when we come to the place of real spirituality is when we come to, for God, that we're here for Him, that we're, we're here to worship Him because He's worthy of worship. And so a faith that is centered on God is what the Bible teaches, not a faith that is centered upon religion, not a faith that is centered upon all the other benefits that come from God, but God himself. And what was happening in Israel, in the book of Malachi, as we're looking at it here, is that the people stopped worshiping for the purpose of knowing God and loving God and serving God. And they were going through the motions for other reasons, and what that led to is apathy and idolatry in their life. Apathy being they just kind of you know, got indifferent about God. And then whatever you get indifferent about God, other things start sneaking in that are either perversions of the true faith or um, they are counterfeits of the true faith. And what, these, what the Israelites were doing is they, they had fallen into some perversions of the true faith, but they had also become apathetic because their attention was not on God. It was on other things. So the opposite of love is not hate, it's apathy. When you hate somebody, you, you actually care, right? But apathy is when you just don't even care. And this is where the Israelites had gotten with God. They were there for other reasons, they were in this for other reasons, and they really didn't care about God, they were just going through the motions, and what happens when you just go through the motions, your faith becomes corrupt. And it's not just them. Apathy is a major problem in the churches today. Specifically, the problem stems from having religion without God or the things of God, as we said. And modern Christianity has found ways to obscure the cross with newer, shinier gospels. A Christ without a cross, a gospel without grace, forgiveness without sin. We trade the living God for a sky fairy who grants our wishes. We start to go, oh, instead of being the living God who we fear and love and walk under... He's, he's just the sky fairy, and he better grant my wishes, and when he doesn't, he's a bad God, and he needs to get his act together. Whenever people start getting disappointed with God, it's because they forgot that he is God and that they're not. We trade the gospel for an entertaining church or a consumeristic experience or add-ons like Christian culture, and we like to pretend that our politics is something that God is super concerned about. We worship our nations, Christian celebrities, we jump into fads. We hide the Bible, the resurrection, and the renewal of all things and platform a vision for human improvement with God as, as one who is an encouraging grandfather but a distant errand boy at the same time that is just there to serve selfish humans. See, a God who demands nothing, does nothing, is not worthy of worship. The God whom we have is a God who is holy and powerful and true and yet merciful and kind and compassionate. And sometimes what we do is when we see his mercy and his kindness and compassion, we say, oh, he's not holy. We don't need to worry about it. He, he's going to forgive me anyway. And that's where apathy sets in. Apathy is the place where you embrace God's love and forget that he is holy. So you, you, you think of God's love as a way in which you can get away with things. 
You think of grace as a way in which you can get away with things, rather than grace is something that you can fall back on when you can't measure up that God is there for you. So these people were sucked into all kinds of things. And before we get into the text, I want to read you a quote, what John Calvin says about this particular text. He says, the prophet accuses the Jews here of another crime, that they were untrustworthy towards God and their own brethren and departed from that preeminence into which God raised them when they were chosen in preference to other nations to be a holy and peculiar people. This ingratitude the prophet now condemns by saying that they all had one father and that, and that they had been created by one God. And that's where we're going to pick up now in uh, verse 10. So God, through Malachi the prophet, says this, Have we not all one father? Has not one God created us? This is Malachi's sermon. He's saying God is our father, the creator, the infinite one, the powerful one. He is our father. And there it is right there. When you understand who God is, you understand that he is powerful and holy, and yet he is your father. Not like your earthly father who likely failed you in some way. Some of you had great fathers, but still were not perfect. Instead, this father is absolutely perfect and loves you with total compassion and is the holy one, the creator of the ends of the earth. And so... uh, that's the first thing. Let's, let's think about the fact that he's our father, but that he's also our creator. That he is the one who created this world and holds it all together. And he also created our faith. He created our ability to know him. In this context, it would have been he created the Israelite people by taking them out of Egypt and bringing them to the promised land and creating a people that he would bring Jesus through. Uh, God had done this work for them. But then the prophet says this, why then are we faithless to one another? profaning the covenant of our fathers. So he's saying the primary way that you can see apathy playing out is the way in which we treat each other and the way in which we treat the world around us. When apathy starts to set in and you're just going through the motions of religion, disconnected from God, it completely changes your heart attitude. And it changes the way you think about people. It changes the way that you treat people. Because when your faith is connected to God, you know that God sees it all. That he sees everything. That nothing is hidden from him. But when you get apathetic, you kind of forget that. And you kind of distance yourself from the reality of God's holiness and his his eye that peers into everything. And you just kind of like, oh, he's a grandfather in the sky and he's a nice guy and so I can just kind of go through these motions. But inevitably, disconnection from God will lead you to treat other people in ways that breaks them, that breaks you. And that's what was happening here in Israel. Their apathy was demonstrating itself by the way in which the people treated each other, how they treated the poor, how they treated people of other uh, nations and ethnicities, how they treated uh, immigrants, as we're going to see in just a moment. Look at... uh, Chapter 3, verse 5, when God talks about his judgment, he says this, and this, this is part of Advent that we should be aware of. For us, the second coming of Christ is a great hope. But for the world, for the rest of the world, those who reject Jesus as king, the second coming of Christ is a day of judgment. So look what Jesus, uh, God says uh, through Malachi. Uh, he says this, Then I will draw near to you for judgment. He's talking about the second coming 
for those that didn't repent and come to God. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord God. So these are the things, the types of things that happen when you have religion that is disconnected from God. People start treating each other in horrible ways. And what we see start coming out, and this is in the nation of Israel. This is in the nation that had God as their king, that was awaiting the Messiah. Uh, this is the people that had the covenant with God, but they had become apathetic. And look what they were doing. It says, um, I will be a Swiss witness against the sorcerers. In other words, they were allowing other religions into, and in, in pagan religions, uh, witchcraft, into the worship of God. So this is one thing that starts happening when apathy starts to set in. You start to have a religion that's disconnected from God. You start to have false gods that are part of that religion in the way that you practice too. And this is what Israel did. But also, it starts to play out sexually. It says against the adulterers. So whenever there is apathy, there is sexual brokenness that begins to break out. And people start stepping out on their marriages. And then he says this, uh, he says, the, those who oppress the hired worker. Another thing that happens when religious people become apathetic is they become just like the world and f- create a system that where the rich get richer and the poor gets poorer, that the hired worker has no upward mobility and the hired worker is down on the bottom oppressed. And God is angry with this, but it's a symptom of disconnection from God. So I want you to see that every time there is a lack of morality or disobedience to God or evil happening, the reason why it's happening in Israel is because the people had disconnected from God. And when you disconnect from God, you become apathetic, and your faith is not full, and it's just going through the motions. They also uh, oppressed the widow and the fatherless. They weren't taking care of orphans. And in that day, a widow would have been somebody that needed to be cared for. If you didn't have family, uh, the widows would just walk the streets and beg because they had no way to provide for themselves. And so God's people were supposed to provide for them. And, uh, and those who thrust aside the sojourner, that's the immigrant. Uh, false religion will always lead to mistreatment of the immigrant. All throughout the Mosaic Law and all throughout the prophets, we see this uh, as well. And here's the reason why, at the end of verse 5, they do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. So lack of connection with God, lack of fearing God is what leads to apathy. In other words, the thing that will keep you from apathy is not trying harder. I'm really going to do it this time. I'm really going to be committed this time. The thing that will set your heart on fire, the thing that will make you holy, the thing that will lead you away from apathy is intimacy and connection with God. That's the only thing. It's not in you to make yourself holy. It's not in you to save yourself from apathy. It's simply not. What keeps the fire burning is connection with God. And this is what they had forgotten. They wanted to go through the motions of church and religion without God. And what that led to was corruption. 
Look at what else. We, we see some of the, those forms of corruption, but look at the other corruption that comes into Israel in ver- chapter 2, verse 11. Judah has been faithless, and an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendants of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. And this is the second thing you do. You cover the Lord's altar with tears and with weeping and with groaning because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord is a witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And was and what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit, and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her says to the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourself in your spirit and do not be faithless. So I want you to hear, two times there at the end of the passage, he says, guard yourself, guard yourself, guard yourself. Where do you got to guard yourself from? Apathy. And how do you guard yourself from apathy? You maintain worship and fear of God. You come before him in prayer. You call out to him. You seek him. You don't seek the religion. You don't seek the motions. You don't even seek uh, the people that are part of it. You seek him. And when you seek him, you'll be able to love the people. And you'll be able to have more integrity and consistency in your life. And the apathy won't be there. But whenever you have apathy happening in your life, I guarantee you it is about disconnection from God. At least when we're talking about religious or faith type of apathy. So he says here, guard yourself. And here's the other thing that they were doing. So we talked about some of the oppression that was happening, the way they were treating the poor, the sexual sin, the fact that they were uh, allowing pagan worship into the church. Well, here's the other thing that they were doing. They were divorcing their wives. And um, that, you know, obviously would be against God's command. You don't just divorce somebody. There's a couple of places where you can. There's allowance made for it. But God is very serious about marriage. And divorce is usually about somebody mistreating somebody else. But in this scenario, it was even worse. The reason why they were divorcing their wives was not even because they didn't love their wives or didn't like their wives. The reason they were divorcing their wives is because they were surrounded by these other nations that were very powerful, and they wanted to create alliances with the other nations so that they wouldn't have to be, fear being attacked. So in, they were willing to compromise their faith in God and God's commands by divorcing their wives, and this is what they would do. They would then divorce their wife and marry a wife of one of the, the other nations that worshipped other gods so that they can create an alliance so that they could protect their family in the midst of war. And there was economic gain. So it was really about the reason they were divorcing their wives and leaving their wives on the street was for economic gain and social uh, connection that will lead them to safety. In other words, they weren't trusting God to be their protector. They were trusting other things to be their protector, which led them to harm their wives. It led them to harm their workers, as we saw. It led them to harm in in so many other ways. And here's the key to it all. They disconnected from God. They tried to have religion without God. They tried to live life without God. 
And if there's anything that will make you evil, it's doing religion without God. Some of the most evil people throughout history have been religious people who are not connected to Jesus. And this is what they were doing. The, 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 the apathy was leading to moral corruption in the entire nation. Now, the truth is, when we have apathy in our lives, it always leads to moral corruption. We find ourselves doing things that we don't want to do. We find ourselves th- saying things that we don't want to say. We find ourselves in places that we know that we should not be. Why? Well, it's not just because we're bad and we make bad choices. It's because we've disconnected from the Holy One. I can tell you this. The only reason I became a Christian is God. I didn't become a Christian because I wanted to clean my life up or I wanted to straighten things out or I thought it would be a better way to live. or It was none of that. I mean, at the time I became a Christian, I was a criminal. At the time I first considered it, I was in jail. And I can tell you, yeah, that scared me, but what really drew me in and changed my life was I read about Jesus and I started finding about who he was. And I also started to find out that he accepted people like me, broken people. And that is what has kept me to this day. And I can tell you at any point in my life where I have corruption start to come in or I'm not walking in who I should be or I, I'm, I'm Uh, you know, not loving my family the way I should or not pastoring the way that I should or whatever it might be, I can tell you it's usually because I have not had intimacy with Jesus. I was going through the motions. I forgot to pray. I forgot to seek him. I forgot to let him love me. And so here's the beauty of it all. Advent gives us this opportunity to turn from apathy, to turn from the corruption without shame. Advent gives us this opportunity where God says, yes, you, you, you've made a mess of it all, but I'm coming, and I'm going to heal you, and I'm going to make it right, and if you stay close with me, we're going to figure this out. Now, Jesus doesn't say it's all going to be perfect once you start following him. Of course, that's not true, but life does change. And Advent is the discipline and the meditation every year for this whole month where we say he's coming again. And if he is coming again, where am I with him? I'm not saying where am I in life. I'm not saying where am I with my mother. Where am I with him? He even says that they wearied him with their prayers. Doesn't God like it when we pray? Yeah. But they, their prayers were just about going through the motions. About, their prayers were about getting things from God, not getting God. See, the reason we pray is to get God. Not to get things from God. And when you pray to get things from God, it leads to hypocrisy and apathy. But when you pray to get God, it leads to integrity and holiness. And so they were praying without obedience because their prayers were not actually about connecting with God. Their prayers were about getting stuff from God. And God says, I don't want your prayers. I'm tired of your prayers. I want you. And if you want to give me prayers without you, I don't want it. So this is what God knows. God knows we can't solve our problem. So the people are saying, where is the God of justice? How come you're not solving all of our problems? How come we're going through all of this? 
If you really loved us, you would have fixed this problem by now. That's also what apathy does. It ends in accusing God. Remember Adam and Eve in the garden? God comes along and says, uh, what have you done? Adam says, uh, well, the woman that you gave me, she gave me this fruit and I ate it. Um, in other words, he's not only blaming his wife, he's blaming God. And this is what we do. And this is what they did. It leads to blaming God and they say, where is the God of justice? Well, God says, I'm going to solve the problem. Look at verse 3. Chapter 3, verse 1. Behold, I will send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. Now, Malachi is the final book of the Old Testament. And the next time we see God's word coming is not for a couple hundred years. So there's a couple hundred years of silence between Malachi and Jesus' coming. Malachi, one of the last things he says is, I'm going to send a messenger that will prepare your way, that will prepare the way of the Lord. And what's one of the first things that we see in the beginning of the Gospels with Jesus' coming? We see the messenger coming and preparing the way of the Lord, and we know him as John the Baptist. That he prepared everybody, uh, that the preparation was there, and that he was actually the prophet of Advent. He's saying, he's here, he has come. Uh, Prepare yourself, repent of your sins. And so that's the first part. God said, I'll send a messenger. And when that messenger comes, you know that I am coming right on the heels of the messenger. Uh, Chapter 3, verse 1 in the second sentence, it says, And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come into his temple. And that's what we see in the Christmas story, right? Jesus, he's born. Eight days later, where do they take him? They take him to the temple. Because on the eighth day, he was supposed to be circumcised. So that he goes into the temple, and suddenly the Messiah appears in the temple. And most people in the temple didn't notice it, but two people did. One was a man named Simeon. And when he saw the baby Jesus, and he saw uh, Mary and Joseph... He knew immediately, God somehow had revealed it to him, that this child was the Messiah. And so he comes and he takes the child, and Simeon was a man who spent every day in the temple praying, waiting for the Messiah, and he takes the child Jesus, uh, the baby of Christmas, and he lifts up the child and he says, this child is the salvation. This child is the solution. In other words, the solution to our apathy and our hypocrisy, and the solution to the problems in our life is not us getting our act together. Uh, It's not you fixing yourself. The way in which we will be reconnected, the way in which we will be saved, is because God will do it. God will come to us. And this is what he did. He suddenly appears in the temple, this child, And Simeon says, this child is the salvation. And then there was a woman named Hannah who also prayed in the temple and was waiting for the Messiah to come. And she celebrated when she saw this child. So Jesus first fulfills this prophecy of suddenly appearing in the temple when he's a baby. But then throughout Jesus' ministry, it it will say something like this. He appeared in the temple. He appeared in the temple. It's it's pulling us back to this verse, saying he's the one. He's the one. He's the one that's going to turn our hearts back to God. He's the one that's going to heal us. He's the one that's going to save us and forgive us. So hundreds of years before this prophecy, uh, hundreds of years before when this prophecy was given, 
we know 100 years later, Jesus begins fulfilling it by appearing in the temple. And look what this, this person will do who appears in the temple, the Lord who appears in the temple. It says this, And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Verse 2, But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and a fuller's soap. So from this perspective... The Jewish people expected that when the Messiah came, uh, there was all the prophecies of what would happen when the Messiah came, that he was going to set the world aright, he was going to establish his kingdom on earth, and, and what they didn't understand is that there was two advents. There was one in which he would come and, and come as a baby and live a perfect life and die on the cross and rise again, and there is another that he will come for judgment. But in both comings, he does the same thing just in different ways. He heals, he cleanses, and he forgives. Look at this, verse 2. But who can endure the day of his coming? Nobody can. Only he can. He's the only one that can endure the judgment of God for us. And so Jesus becomes the one who endures the judgment even though he is perfect. Who can stand when he appears? This is talking about his second coming. At his second coming, there will be a time of judgment. But even in his first coming, there was judgment. But he was the one who took it. In the second coming, there will be judgment. But it will be for those who rejected him and refused him. But what does he do? He cleanses. He cleanses us. He, he is, it says that he is like a fuller's soap. He deeply cleanses and that's what he did in his first coming he cleansed us by living a perfect life dying on the cross and rising again but it also says that he is like a refiner's fire so the way in which he's going to save us from our apathy and our our hypocrisy is by connection with us but he's also going to have to put us through the fire and this is why suffering is, is required, actually, for you to know Jesus. Jesus came into this world and suffered, and we are in this world suffering, but as we suffer, he connects with us. And the picture is this. It's a, that when he talks about the refiner's fire, it's a picture of this, this big vat that you would have, and you would mine the silver, and you would take the silver, and you would put it in the vat, and you would boil it. And you would boil it until the impurities roasted the top. And what you would do is you would take a, a tool and you would scrape off the impurities on the top. And then you would boil it again. And the impurities would rise to the top and you scrape off the impurities on the top and you boil it again. And as you continue to do that, it becomes purer and purer and purer. And once the silversmith knows and can see his face in the silver, see his own reflection in the silver, the silversmith knows that the silver is done. And this is what God comes to do in our life. He puts us in the furnace. He turns up the heat. He removes what is evil. He removes what is wrong. And then he turns up the heat. And he turns up the heat. And he turns up the heat. And he removes what is wrong until he can see his reflection in us. This is what he has come to do. He's come to do the saving. He's come to do the work. Christianity is not about you doing the work and you getting your act together and you becoming better and you becoming more. Christianity is about God coming here and doing the work for you and saving you from all of your brokenness but also walking with you and ministering to you and loving you. And when he does that, when you have that connection with him, that's when the impurities come off the top. And things begin to change and you become more and more like him. 
But if you refuse to come to him in this life, there will be a judgment at his second coming. So the, the, the idea is this. You either come to him now for forgiveness and let him, through suffering, through his will, make you more holy, or you stand on your own two feet without a Savior, and the second time he comes, his second advent, will not be a celebration for you, but it will be a day of judgment. And this is what Malachi is warning these people of. He's saying, you think because you're Israelites and you go to the temple and you have the Bible and you think that you're already good and that you don't even need God and that everything is fine and that you can even live in corruption and everything's going to be fine. And when you do that, you're only showing your disconnection from God. So this is how anticipating Advent annihilates apathy. If you can live in the reality knowing that he came the first time, and you're going to bank your entire hope on the fact that he came the first time, then you also begin to live into the reality that he's coming again. And there is a reality to that, like, that he's going to come here physically, and there will be a day of judgment. And the only way to escape the judgment is to run to him for forgiveness. You don't escape the judgment by doing more, trying harder, being better, because nobody could ever do enough. You escape the judgment by coming to him and letting him forgive and letting him lead and letting him shape you. And when you do this, the fire will come back. Many of you have lost the fire, the connection that you had with God. And you think that, oh man, I just need to grit down, I need to try harder, then I'll get it back. That's never going to be the way. You have to first recognize that he does it all. And then you come to him in humility and hope and repentance and say, Lord, I'm yours. Shape me, change me, forgive me, lead me. And then the fire will come back because you're working out of grace. You're working out of his love instead of your own resources. You see, apathy comes from living out of your own resources. Holiness, fire, power from God comes from living in dependence upon him. So the invitation of this sermon is to turn is to turn from our apathy and turn to him and ask him to come and heal everything that is broken and everything that we need. Advent is the time for us to reflect on the fact that he's been so good and so gracious and so forgiving. And so as we think about these things and as we take the Lord's Supper in just a minute, I, I want you to be thinking about this fact that in, in the Lord's Supper, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. In other words, we proclaim his first coming until his second coming. So every time we take the Lord's Supper, we remember that he accomplished salvation. He lived the perfect life represented by the bread. He died on the cross represented by the cup. And the bread and wine sitting here in the service together tell us that he's here, he is present, he is resurrected, and we come to the table to feed on him just like we have fed upon his word because that's where we find him. We find him in his word and in his sacrament. And when we find him there, those are the things that shape us, that lead us back to the fire, that drive away the apathy, that, that take the impurities away, his presence.
So with that, let's pray. Father, we are here this morning and um, we're all a bit apathetic about things in our life and we want to see the world the way that you see it, filled with life and beauty and consequence and excitement. That what is happening around us is real and will last forever. Let us see the way you see, Lord. And Lord, we thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that he accomplished everything that we need in his first advent. And we look forward to a second advent when he'll heal the world. So we pray these things in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.